Do you wonder if others are dealing with the same project management challenges as you? Not sure where to turn for guidance and leadership? Office Hours are in session as we discuss project management and PMOs with global leaders, hearing their story and learning their secrets to success. Our goal is to empower you and help you elevate your PMO and project management career to new heights. Welcome back to Project Management Office Hours with your host, PMO Joe. Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours. We're the number one live project management radio show in the U.S., broadcasting to you from the Phoenix Business Radio X studios in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, PMO Joe, and for the next hour or so, we're going to be talking project management. This is show number two for today, right? So I've been live twice today. I think the world doesn't want to hear from me anymore. So once once uh, a day is enough. But for me, this has been fun. It's been great to be able to have a second show. And hopefully all of you are uh, enjoying it as well. Before we jump into the show with our special guest, just wanted to mention a couple of items. I want to say thank you to the Sim Houston chapter. Uh, for those not familiar with Sim, it's the Society of Information Management. And that's a group of IT leaders, and it's a national organization with local chapters. I had the pleasure of speaking to them earlier this week, talking about the ROI of project maturity. And that was a fun session. We have a a follow-up session coming up with them on July 27th. So look forward to talking with them. And thank you for the opportunity earlier this week. Also, the Arizona State University Project Management Summit is coming up on September 29th. It's an online virtual conference uh, that is free from for everybody around the world to be able to participate. Registration opened yesterday, and I think there was almost 100 people who registered on day one. So I think it's going to be a big event, uh, well attended, and there's a great lineup of speakers, some of which have been guests on our show previously. So Lee Lambert will be speaking there, uh, Elizabeth Heron, uh, Billy Mawape, and a bunch of others. So please go out and check that out. Also, for those who've been listening for a while, you know that I'm the founder of VPMMA, co-founder, which is the Veteran Project Manager Mentor Alliance. And uh, we are partnering with ASU to be able to bring a veterans track to that conference. And we have several speakers lined up, including from ASU's Pat Tillman Veteran Center, We have the director of the Arlington National Cemetery and some additional speakers as well. So if you're a veteran and looking for some information on project management or you're in our project management industry, I encourage everybody to go register for this free event. It's a kind of funky URL, so we'll have it in the show notes. Uh, But if you just search 2021 ASU PM Summit, you should be able to find that. Also want to thank our sponsors, the PMO Squad and the PMO Leader. Uh, Be sure to go out and visit both of those sites to learn more about the purpose-driven PMO and, of course, the PMO leader being a global community for project management leaders to come together. Lastly, a reminder for everyone to visit projectmanagementofficehours.com. You can check out all of our prior episodes, see our upcoming guests, and learn about all of the great work we've been doing now into our fourth year. All right, enough of the announcements. I am excited today to have a first guest in person. I can actually see a human across from me, which we haven't had uh, during the entire pandemic. So welcome, Erica Flora. Thank you for joining me. 
Thank you. I'm just excited to be around other humans. So. <laughs> I know the feeling. It's fantastic. If if you could take a moment, Erica, just to say hello to everyone and, and introduce yourself so that everybody gets to know you a little bit better. Sure. My name is Erica Flora. I am a microbiologist turned project manager turned entrepreneur. And about 15 years ago, I started a company called Beyond 20 with my husband, Brian. And uh, we are, a, we like to call ourselves an innovation accelerator. So we help with training, we help with process, we help implement tools, all to help organizations work more effectively. That's awesome. And I'm excited to be around other people as well. So let's talk some project management and careers and purpose and learning and, and everything else that we're going to get to today. I'm going to start with where you kind of ended with Beyond 20, if you don't mind. The the name, right? I mean, Beyond 20 is is unique. What's the story behind that? So... The name came from a Gartner research study where they looked at when mission-critical systems and organizations fail, what that root cause was. And what they found was when they looked at that, uh, you know, when, when big, terrible stuff happens to organizations, only 20% of the time uh, was the root cause found to be hardware and software. That actually 80% of the time, they traced it back, they were able to trace it back to issues in people and issues in process. And on the one hand, it sounds surprising. And then on the other hand, you're like, no, that sounds about right. (laughs) Someone made a change and didn't think to tell other people, you know, there's so many things contained within the people in the process stuff. And that's really what we're passionate about is fixing that stuff. I mean, it makes the technology work better, but a lot of times what we do in organizations is we flip that and we start with the technology and we're like, let's just buy tools. And then we realize we haven't addressed the people and the process stuff and the tool fails. So it's a, uh, I guess a spin on the old 80-20 rule, right? It's the, you're, you want to focus on the 80 and get beyond that 20. Exactly. Yeah. See, I'm smart. I can pick up on these things. That's great. But I'm not a microbiologist. I'm not that smart. You're the first person we've had in 83 guests now that started out as a microbiologist. Yes. How do you go from microbiologist to project manager to entrepreneur? What what does that path look like? You know, it's not the path I planned for myself, but it's so much better than what I planned for myself. I grew up thinking I wanted to be a doctor, also an artist. I was kind of in both camps. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I had a father that encouraged that. And so I was thinking about this on the ride over that he actually bought me coloring books of like the human body. So you could see like the muscle system and the nervous system. Coloring books. Yes. Yes. So I had a weird childhood and I've turned into a weird adult. Um, But so I I, throughout college thought I was going to be a doctor. I took a class in microbiology and thought, wow, this is really interesting. This is maybe the path that I want to go down. And so I continued. I got my master's degree. Then I went and worked as a microbiologist. Mm. And I was like, huh, I do not love this. I don't love the work. Just through some happy accidents, I ended up becoming a project manager uh, in the pharmaceutical industry. So I was able to take some of my background in science and and use it as a project manager, but develop more of my business skills. And the first company that I worked uh, at really kind of showed me without me realizing what organizational transformation was like. Mm. I walked into this organization and they were 
diplomatically, I'll say, uh, was very low on the maturity scale in terms of their processes and yeah. and things like that. Um, a little bit of chaos, and and so we put some some really simple structure processes um, in place that really made a big difference in the organization. Three years later, when I left, it was a very different, how the organization worked was very different than when I showed up. And it was because we addressed some of the people stuff, the process stuff. We uh, rolled out enterprise technology. And that was my first project where I really got to lead a, a software initiative. And, you know, I'm early in my career and I'm thinking this is normal. Like they just let someone who's a first time project manager just roll out this like enterprise system and lead training and and put in process. And we didn't call it organizational transformation back then, but that's what it was. The yeah. organization transformed and I was like, this is cool. I want to keep doing this. Yeah. And so that's really formed the the DNA of our company is, and our mission is that we want to change work life because I've seen what it looks like when an organization goes from chaos to a bit more order. People are happier. Things are easier. Um, I mean, they're challenging. They're always going to be challenging, but we do a lot of stuff to get in our own way. Mm. And so if we can fix some of that stuff, some of the wasteful work that we're doing, some of the the unnecessary bureaucracy, um, manual process, manual work, like that kind of stuff, that gets me excited. And I don't remember what your question was, but I just went on a tear. Well, that's, you know, the, when you were speaking about that in that first project, you could, like, people can't see this, right? Like I can, right? You could see the light in your eyes, right? You were so happy talking about that story. And as former project manager, now entrepreneur, right? I've been there and I think all project managers have been there and then we lose ourselves and our career with the other part you talked about, right? Where all the things get in the way and project management becomes the bureaucracy and the overhead. But really what it is, is we, we change the world, right? Every building that's built is a project. Every road that's built is a project. Everything out there is in some way connected to a project and we project managers get to do this really cool stuff, but we get lost in the noise. As you went through your career, you probably, not every project was as exciting and the same. How did you deal with that, right? How did you, how did that, the, the low moments keep going? Did you think back to the, the high moments? I mean, how do you do that, right? How does it, a lot of, project managers listening in or probably right now going, yeah, I had that great project. And then after that, every one of them, eh, not so much. So I think part of this is my, my own mindset. I'm a glass half full person. And so I didn't, I don't necessarily see these other projects that maybe weren't as successful as, as failures. I looked at them as learning moments and I'm always on this quest to how can we make this great? Early on in my career, I, I read a book by Tom Peters called Project 50, and he was saying that you can take any project, the most boring, destined for failure project, and you can make it great. You just have to figure out how to do that. Um, I listened to a video the other day um, by, I think it's Cy Wakefield. I'll, I'll have to send you the link um, to include in the show notes. But her video was so enlightening to me because she said a lot of times we complain. And I do this myself. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough resources. If only leadership would listen to me. You know, all these, we make up all these excuses for why things aren't going to be successful. Instead of saying, here's my reality. 
how do I make sure we are successful in this dysfunctional reality? Mm-hmm. Because no matter what company I work with, including our own company, there's a dysfunction, there's things you'd love to fix. There's never enough time and money and people, but you figure out, okay, how do we, how do we rise above that? We have to rise above that because we're doing work that's so important. We're building bridges, we're, we're rolling out technology, wh- whatever that is, how do we make that successful? Is that helpful? Yeah, it makes sense. And, and I'm with you. I'm, I used to be a glass half full person, but now I'm a glass full person, right? If it, half of the liquid and the other half's air. So the glass is always full. Right. I, like I, I heard that one day and I was like, man, that was great. I'm going to, I'm going to stick with that because I was always right. I'm always the optimist. I think there's, there's always something good that can come from the bad as well. But then that was the, the water and the air. It's the cup always full, right? It's just, what do we, how do we choose to, to work with it? So it's great to, to hear you think similar, right? With that same mindset, but we're both business owners as well. Right. And and, and there's some different responsibilities as an owner from compared to being just a project manager, right? And it's, we have to help develop other leaders, right? I mean, part of our job now is, as a leader is to develop leaders. So what, how have you done that, right? And I'm always intrigued to hear someone else mention, because I'm like, I compare notes, like, oh, I didn't do that. Or, you know, that works for me as well. What's been your secret and what's your journey like with that? It's definitely been a journey and I've gotten better at it over time. Um, even my first role as a project manager, I saw myself as a mentor to others. Um, we had several bright students as interns working on on our project. And uh, my very first project was a software project. And I took engineers that had no idea about this software and turned them into master schedulers. Uh, they helped uh, me roll out at the time. This was a... Um, project server, Microsoft project, uh, enterprise wide Mm -hmm. implementation that we did. And these interns that were still in college got so good at it, um, that they were on par with, with any project manager I've, I've ever seen. So I, I think really taking the time to show people what, you know, helping them figure out what they really like is so important. Um, and giving them opportunities to, to develop, whatever it is that the, that lights them up as well. I don't know that I've been consistently good at that, but, but leadership I found is a skill. And with any skill, it requires research. It requires uh, practice more than anything. Yeah. And to me, that was enlightening. You're not just born a great leader or you're not going to be a good leader. You can be a great leader, but it's the people that put the time in. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, and I and I would say, I think some people are born, like some people just are singers and some people are guitar players and some people are athletes. I think some people are born leaders, but not all of us, right? I mean, a lot of us have to work at that and learn how to be a great leader. And I think, you know, servant leadership and, and other things I've been studying recently have helped me get better. I didn't have that to begin with. Um, so it's good to hear that you say, hey, it's a journey, right? Because we're not, you're not yes or no. It's, it's how do you get to where you're at and where are you going next, right? I mean, that's, that's the journey component of this. Part of that journey for you is you mentioned that, you know, uh, as an adult, maybe you are not the traditionalist. Uh, you are an improv comedy person as well, right? Is this true? This is true. How, yes. So how do, all right. So I'm getting confused, right? 
because all the stereotypes are getting blown away. Microbiologist and comedy person aren't supposed to be going hand in hand with project management and entrepreneur in the middle of that. How does that all happen, right? How do you get to improv comedy? I got to improv comedy actually because I had a fear of public speaking. Hmm. And that actually happened here in Phoenix. When I was working as a project manager, I was so shy. I was okay talking with people one-on-one, but if I had to stand up and talk to a group, I would get so nervous, painfully nervous. My face would turn red. I'd start sweating. It was horrible. I had kind of said, it's not a big deal. I can manage it. And then there was one time where I stood up in front of a group of people, my peers, people that I worked for, actually the CEO of the company was there. And I stood up and said my name. I was so nervous. I said my name. I was supposed to just give an introduction for myself, say who I am, what I do. And I stood up and I said, I'm Erica. I'm a project manager. And I got so flustered that all I wanted to do was just sit back down. So I just said, well, just say something, just say anything. And I said, and I don't know what I do. (laughs) And then I sat down and I was like, oh God, Uh, I'm getting fired. I'm totally getting fired today. And it made me realize that it was something I had to deal with. Like Mm -hmm. the fear of public speaking was going to hold me back from what I wanted to do. And so I actually went to a PMI event and there was a gentleman that was speaking about how to inject humor into work. And I thought, this is fascinating. I definitely have to check this out. And come to find out he was teaching a stand-up comedy class at the local community college. And I signed up and took it. And it was the most terrifying and yet the most liberating thing that I think I had done at the time. And one of the things that he had us do was just get on stage. He'd give us a word and then we'd have to come up with a a comedy routine, which is impossible. It's an impossible task. He did that so that you would see what the worst looked like, what the worst case scenario looked like. And people would just stare at you and they wouldn't laugh. And you're like, oh, I experienced the worst. That's actually not that bad. And it, it just frees you up to think, okay, well, you know, in our minds, we picture the worst, but we never actually, or we don't think that we experience it. But when you're forced to experience it, it just makes everything so much easier. And so that just interested me in comedy. I decided I didn't ever want to do stand-up again uh, because it's so stressful and people are looking at you and it's kind of you against the audience in some ways. Um, But I got turned on to improv comedy because it's collaborative comedy. Mm. And you're there to make those around you look great. You know, you tee up a joke and then they knock it out of the park and you're like, yeah, we're killing it. Yeah. And if you mess up and you're not funny, there's a technique called uh, wiping the scene and somebody just runs across the, the, the stage and you start over again, which has taught me so much about leadership, about the joy of making mistakes. I see so many of our clients, they say, oh, yeah, yeah, we want to fail fast just as long as you never fail. <laughs> and it's like, well part of the learning process is failing. Like you should embrace failure because you learn from that. And doing improv comedy puts me in this, in this environment where I get to play, I get to make mistakes and we celebrate those mistakes. And I, I like to call it instead of failing fast, because it comes with a negative connotation built into it, right? learning fast. Let's learn fast. Absolutely. Why do we have to, it, if we consider it a failure, then it's a failure. If we say it was a learning well, then we can take it forward and, and make it useful, right? What was the worst word that you got during class 
to be able to try to create. Do you remember back way back when? And oh yeah, it's burned in my brain. He <laughs> he told me I had to come up with a comedy routine about the army, <laughs> and I just kind of stood there. I was like, well, hmm. My son's in the Navy. Just left for boot camp uh, two two weeks ago. Two weeks ago yesterday. So he's at boot camp right now. When he comes back, we'll probably be able to make a, a comedy routine about Navy boot camp. Uh, while he's in the middle of it, probably not so much. So I certainly could see how Army would be tough. Yeah. I mean, now we would come up with silly routines with a team. But yeah, at the time, I... Whose I, line is it anyway, right? That's the name. Did you used to watch that show that was on TV? Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, that was uh, right. The improv comedy, right? And they would go through and do that. We used to watch that as well. We used to think that all those people were nuts. So I, I'm not putting you into that category, right? But I'm um, nuts. Yeah, that's fair. But what I the the sub story to all that, right? As you're hearing that, because I always try to think, what can I take away from that personally, right? I'm not going to probably go do improv comedy, but what I can take away is facing a fear and saying I, I've identified something I can get better at don't necessarily think I can do it myself. So I'm going to seek out some help to be able to do that. And I'm probably going to be uncomfortable trying to figure out how to become better with it. And so many of us out there, project managers or other professionals, right? We, we don't do that, right? We don't have that courage. So for everyone listening, Erica did it. And if she did it, you can do it too. It doesn't have to be improv comedy, but find your thing to help you get better at some of the things that are holding you back from where you want to go. Yeah, this can be anything. Leadership, I think, as you learn to be a better leader, there's a discomfort there. And there should be a discomfort there because you're learning, you're failing. And it's part of the process of strengthening strengthening your skills, really. You can't get good at anything without going through some discomfort. Even if that discomfort is, I want to learn more about different techniques I can use as a project manager. There's so many tools and techniques that are out there that you can learn about uh, that are so helpful, technologies. I've found a lot of success in my career just because I've thrown myself into opportunities around me and I've forced myself to learn new things. Um, I think our industry is, is changing so much that we have to learn new things to be relevant mm -hmm. and to have a good and, and successful career. It's just part of the process. Yeah. So how do you bring that improv personality and humor and joy into Beyond 20, right? Is that, do you bring that in? Do you translate? Is that, is that uh, within your company culture as well? Yeah, I really try to. I really try to just be real with people. We also do difficult and challenging work and we're solving hard problems for customers. And if you don't take time to laugh and joke and, and bring some levity to the situation, it makes for a really boring experience. It makes for a really, it, you know, you get, you get worn down a lot more easily if, if there isn't some levity. You know, we, we like to say we take our work seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. Um, it's, and, and having the ability to play and laugh and, and just inject some humor builds trust amongst teams. It builds trust with our customers. Um, yeah, it's just, it's awesome. I, th I think the biggest lesson that I've learned in doing improv comedy is that it teaches you to really listen. Mm. Because when you're on a stage with other teammates and they say something like, 
hey, PMO Joe, and I completely am not listening, and I go, what was his name? I have no idea. Um, it doesn't make for a funny scene. Right. Or, <laughs> right? You're like, hey, you. <laughs> um, or if if someone says, um, yeah, we're on the moon, and you're like, no, we're not. We're doing something else. Like, that's not helping your teammate, and that's not um, exploring the the comedy that is potentially there. Yeah, that makes sense. The some companies where we've gone in um, to help them work, whenever they close a new deal, they ring a bell, right? It's like their thing and say, "Hey, we ring a bell. We just won new business." Beyond twenty, do you do anything like that? Do you do you ring a bell when you close a new deal? Man, uh, I would love to have a gong in the office. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nobody's in the office right now. We're all working remotely. <laughs> I just thought of something. So I have a puppet of myself. It's a whole another long story. And so, and well, we've so, got an hour. <laughs> so, sometimes we'll break out the puppets. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, there was something else that made me think of this. Oh, yes. I heard this great piece of advice that um, you should always have champagne on hand, a, like a bottle of champagne. In, a, in an organization because there's going to be champagne moments mm. and you want to be able to open up the bottle of champagne, share it with everyone. I mean, maybe not one bottle for everybody, but uh, you have enough that people can have a, a glass of champagne and really stop and celebrate what they're, you know, what they've achieved. A lot of times we, we have these successes and then we're just so darn busy that we move on to the next thing and we don't stop and say, wow, we did an amazing job. Let's Let's really celebrate this. Even if it's a 10-minute celebration, let's do that. It's so, so important to, to help us recharge and, and take on the next thing. Yeah, with, in the PMO squad, we, I, I'm a big ACDC fan. So whenever we close a deal, we play Thunderstruck, right? That's a, again, it's that levity moment, right? It's because we hear Thunderstruck. Or you want to like walk out on stage, right? And you want to let everybody know that we just conquered the world. So but I love that champagne moment, right? That's you know, note to self: champagne. And but we're the same as you. No one's in an office right now, so I'm gonna tell everybody in the company: let's go get some champagne, and when we have a champagne moment, we can all toast together. That's a great idea. Yeah, in fact, we won a large government contract at the end of last year, and the people that were most heavily involved in writing the response, we actually uh, couriered a uh, bottle of champagne to their house. Oh, nice! And did like a virtual kind of toast. That's fantastic. So improv, right? Getting company culture built the way that it kind of fits around who you are and and the type of company you want to be. But people are still people, right? And and we have to think of them that way and not as employees and we value them and career them champagne when they do something (laughs) well, which is great. But, But how do we, as companies, what we find is too often the process and the technology comes before the people, right? How do we as leaders flip that script and put people first? How how have you guys been able to do that? There's a lot of different ways you can do that. Um, For us, I can tell you some of the things that have worked really well. Um, We do, so a lot of companies will do something called an NPS score, a net promoter score to see what Mm -hmm. their customers think of them, you know, survey their customers. We actually do that internally on a quarterly basis and say, what are the things we need to be improving as an organization? Um, we also will meet weekly all of our individual teams and say, okay, 
what's working, what's not working, what do we need to to do better, and really spend the time up front before we go down the road of of buying a tool. Mm-hmm. Um, we've made the same mistake as as all of our customers, where you buy the tool thinking it's going to fix everything, but you don't take the time to map out. Well, how do we want to work as an organization? Are there places where we're doing something that doesn't make any sort of sense? And let's take the time before we implement this to this new tool to get that all figured out. Um, otherwise, and I've seen this happen way more times than I like, uh, you buy a tool, you spend a ton of money, you spend a lot of resources trying to implement this tool. And then you now implement this tool that didn't fix anything, didn't fix how you worked. And so then I invariably start hearing people go, oh man, I liked our old tool. Why do we get this new one? This is terrible. So I think just really fixing some of the the ways in which people work, fixing some of the, I mean, all of us have stuff in our organizations that we're like, oh man, this is really terrible about how we work. And yet we have the ability to change it in our organizations. We have the ability to impact that. Well, let's use this transformation, tool implementation, whatever it is that we're doing to like really clean up our house a bit. Yeah. Yeah. We're at PMO squad. We're, we're going through a website project, right? We're going to refresh our website and we thought, Oh, this is, we're switching platforms and it's just going to be the same thing. And as we did that, we started saying, okay, how, how do we handle the lead generation that comes in? We're not doing as well with that as we should or content management on the website. We're not doing as well. And it turned into Right? It's a business process project. It has nothing to do with the website platform upgrade anymore. And and we were encountering that as a professional services firm trying to help other companies go through it. So it, it's hard, right, to be able to do this. And and we as consultants wonder, how come my client can't get that, right? How What are they missing? How come they don't understand it? But when we look internally, it's the same challenges, right? Because we're all people and people struggle with change. And ultimately, if we're going to be changing things, that's that's the tough thing to do, right? Yeah. And we tend to say, well, let's just make a small change. Let's just roll out just the tool. And let's just do the minimum to just get it live. And instead, what we should be saying is, how do we get this right the first time? Mm. Let's actually make this change bigger, which sounds super scary and counterintuitive. But how do we make it bigger so we do it once and it elevates us as an organization? Well, and that becomes easier when we know the why, right? What's the purpose of our organization? Excuse me. We had just had a show, second show. That's why my voice is getting a little hoarse, right? We had Antonio Nieto Rodriguez on earlier today, and he had talked a good portion about purpose and understanding not just why we're doing projects, but why does our organization exist? And when we start doing those wholesale changes, like you were just mentioning, if we can attach it to the why, they're a lot more successful, right? We have a better chance of success with that. So how how have you been able to, to help organizations or your own organization really figure out why, you know, what's your purpose and, and why? So for us as, as a team, our leadership team actually got together and had a, a conversation over the course of a couple of hours. And we talked about why do you work here? What what? It, well, why do you work here? Yeah, uh, who not, works at this place? The lady's a microbiologist <laughs> and a stand-up comedian. I mean, improv comedy, not stand-up, right? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> 
Yeah. So we said, what, what brought you here and why are you still here? Like what excites you? What gets you up in the morning? Like describe for me like your best day. What does that look like? And we all had really similar stories and it's all about, I mean, the, the theme that they had was all the same, even though the stories were a little bit different. So one might've been, we helped train uh, in organizations staff so that they were all speaking the same language and had a lot of aha moments and were able to have deeper, more meaningful conversations together. Or we, um, there was one project I remember, um, we helped automate how they managed change. And it went from taking this poor woman who was the change manager. I think she was spending like eight hours a week on this one like manual task every week. And we automated it for her. And it, I think it took her like five minutes mm. every week. Like that changed her whole life at work. Yeah. And and we've had all sorts of stories like that. And, and as we started talking, luckily we had our marketing, marketing director in the room and she was like, the theme here is that we change work life. And I was like, dang, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so a lot of times as leaders I th- and project managers too, we tell people here, do this, but we don't explain the why. Mm-hmm. And so that's been one of the things that I've really had to work on as a leader is not just say, here's what I need, but here's why I need it. And in fact, take out the how to do it. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's something that is worth practicing. Um, don't say, okay, well, I want you to do this and here's exactly how I want you to write it. And here's exactly, you know, all the details. Here's the technology I want you to use. Instead say, here's the intent. Here's Here's what I want to be able to do. Go make it happen. And that unleashes people's creativity. And then they just go, oh, cool. I get to to design this. And I've seen where I've given intent to folks around me and they come back with way more creative ideas than I would. Yeah. Children are awesome with that, right? I mean, because children haven't been programmed yet to figure out how to do things, right? So if you say, you know, go clean your room, they're going to come up with their own way of doing it, right? Or go vacuum the pool or go go do something, go play, right? Look, how am I going to do that? I don't know, just go play, right? And they figure that out. We lose that as adults, right? We, we lose that because we want to own it, right? We want to be able to say, go play. And here's how you're going to play. You're going to play X and Y, and you're going to do these things. And here's the things you're going to play with, you know, and we lose that child. We had a guest on, I guess probably about two years ago now, and he talked about play as adults and how we can all benefit from that. We've lost that as children. But as you were talking, right, I was thinking about this, the the why and, and all these things. And there was one story, we had a, a client and I we went into the ID department, we were helping them with the PMO. And, and I asked, I interviewed all 30 people in our IT department. And I said, why does you, your company exist? And they all said, or why does your department exist within the company rather? And they said, now we're here to, to make sure the technology is right and that we're secure and, and that we're doing everything we, we need to with the software and the hardware, paraphrasing. And then I went and talked to their leadership team and asked them the same question. I said, well, why does your company exist? And they provide homes as rentals with a large percent of the audience would be people who are single mothers who may be coming out of abusive families. So it was a safe, they were providing safety to people who never had it before in their lives. And I said, do you know none of your people in your IT department think that's what you do as a company? There's a complete disconnect. So every one of your projects they're doing to provide a technology solution, not knowing that they're enabling 
battered women have an opportunity to live a safe life. And they went back and they changed all of their metrics in their organization. How many, instead of how many sales did we make or how many um, technology uptime we had, it was how many lives did we save today? How many children were brought home safely from work today, right? They, everything tied to purpose and people didn't care if they stayed an hour late that day. They didn't care if they had to come in and work on the weekend because they were doing it for a better purpose than what they originally had thought. And we lose that in the organizations we work today, right? We're, we're so focused on how we do things. I loved what you said when you said, forget the how. Don't, don't even bring that in there. People will figure that out, right? Just let them know why we're doing this and watch them, right? At PMO Squad, our, our tagline is empower people to deliver results, right? You're empowered. You go do it. I don't need to tell you how anymore. Um, so that was, it was insightful. Thanks for sharing that with me. Yeah, and that story is powerful. And I just jotted down, I was like, man, we need to be talking on a daily basis. How have we changed work life? And we do, but I don't think we do it enough. Well, it gets back into, you know, we, what becomes familiar, we don't talk about anymore, right? And, and what makes us impactful usually is what's familiar, but we just, we make that disconnect, right? We disassociate those two and we need to keep them together. I mean, I struggle with that as well. I mean, I think we all do. But I think this goes back to a little bit uh, what you said, what you learned from improv. The number one thing you learned was listening, right? How do we, how can we get better at that? How can we take that and then translate that into some sort of benefit for us as individuals or our teams? One of the activities I like to do um, with teams, with customers, um, where we're working on leadership skills and things like that, uh, there's a game called listen to the last word, listen down to the last word. And so you go around the room and somebody will say a statement like, I'm having a great day. And then the next person, their sentence has to start with day. Mm -hmm. So like, and it doesn't even need to make sense. So (laughs) day is today or whatever. (laughs) But what it does is it forces you to listen to that very last word because you need that last word to start your part. What we end up doing instead is we'll listen to like 75% of what the person's saying. And then we're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I know where this is going. But sometimes that last 25% is magic. And so that's one that that I try to practice with myself is just really intently listen, listening to the person that's talking. Um, there's innovation in there. If you're talking with your team, there's ideas, there's there's all sorts of cool stuff that can come out of just really paying your full attention, listening to that person. Um, the other big thing you learn in improv, it's like you probably learn on day one, uh, is to say yes and. Say, yes, I hear you. And I'm going to add more to the story. Like if I said we're on the moon, yes, and these suits are really tight or whatever. Uh, you take that information, you don't disagree with it, and then you add more to the story to kind of build out the world. And in work, it's not like we're saying, yes, I love your idea, um, but it's, yes, I hear you. Let's figure out if this could work because sometimes we say no to, you know, we're, uh, I don't know if it's how we're wired as humans, but we go, okay, Joe, yeah, 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 that's not going to work. We tried it two weeks ago or two years ago. And um, instead of really listening to the idea and saying, maybe it could work, let's maybe put some other pieces together. Let's at least have a conversation about it instead of just saying, no, it's not going to work. 
Yeah, I think back to really early in my career, one of my, might have been one of my first jobs. There was an executive, uh, his name was Terry Norris, and we thought, the lower level employees thought this guy was just nuts. He was weird. Because you would talk with him, and it would be about a 30-second pause before he'd begin speaking. We're like, what in the world is this guy doing? Literally, every time you would talk to him, every sentence, every encounter, everything. So we always just thought he was odd. And then one day, as I got a little bit uh, more senior, I went and I asked him, I said, help me out. What's the, the pause, right? Help me understand this. And he said, because after everybody finishes speaking, I want to make sure that I heard what they said and I was listening. So I re-say it back to myself to make sure that I don't start speaking because we, to your point, we try to answer the question before they even ask the question. He wants to make sure he hears it, understands it before he responds. Now, I've certainly in my career not gone to those extremes that he did, but I got it, right? And, and we pick up these little nuggets along the way of how we can listen better or how we can have empathy better, how we can, and my wife's probably listening saying, empathy, you don't have any empathy, right? But how we can do these things better um, such as the listening. And I love that list. I was, as you were speaking, I was trying to wait for your last word and I was going to say, okay, how can I do this? But you said work last. And I'm like, yeah, I can't come in with anything after work. Right. But we could have had a little comedy or improv routine off of that one. How about coaching? Right. So we're, we're, I was a sports kid growing up. Right. So a lot of the impactful people in my life have been coaches. And I have a lot of mentors still as a professional just because I'm used to being coached. I'm, I'm used to having people around me. How has, has that been a part of your life as well? Yes, it's definitely something that I've had to develop and I'm still developing as a skill. Coaching is, is interesting because I've worked with a coach, someone that has coached me early on in my career for a few years. I had a, a work coach, essentially. Uh, and... I feel like I'm now starting to develop my own coaching skills for the leaders around me. And it's been an interesting journey because I am someone that's come up through the technical ranks. I'm used to knowing how to do things and having the answers. Mm -hmm. And as a coach, you don't. You ask great questions. You get other people to think, but you get other folks to figure it out themselves. Um, when you don't do that as a leader, then you end up being the one that everybody has to come to. And then it makes your life miserable because you're busy all the time. And it makes everybody else's life miserable because they're not making their own decisions. They're just going, oh, I'm just going to go to Joe. He knows what to do. Yeah. Versus empowering people. And I'm to a stage now where I actually really like it. Instead of just giving an answer, I'll ask a question. Well, what do you think? How would you solve this? What have you tried? What do you think is the next step? And that's really what helps build other leaders. You don't want other dependents on yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I didn't start out to be a host of a podcast radio show, right? Wasn't in the plan, kind of, as you mentioned earlier, right? Wasn't my plan. But it's helped me sit in front of other leaders, whether in person like we're doing today or, or globally on a Zoom call and get mentoring, right? And to be able to say, this is a public session for everybody in the world to listen to of what I would ask this person if we were together privately. We were just chatting, right? And they're getting an inside secret to their own coaching session because I feel as if this is my own coaching session, right? I'm, I'm here interacting with you or 
Antonio on the show before me and Lee Lambert and, you know, all these great people we've had a, a great opportunity to talk to, to be able to take coaching and be embracing of it, not just as the coach, but as a receiver, as we, as we elevate and become leaders, we can still be coached, right? And we can get coaching to, to learn and grow. So for all of our, our folks listening, if you're a PM or you're a PMO director or just starting your career or a microbiologist trying to figure out what you want to do next, know that listening, asking questions, having the courage to be able to take chances on things that you weren't so sure about, all of those things are development type of items that can really help us in our career and, and take us in a path that maybe we didn't know we were going. I don't mind public speaking. I get up, I talk, it's no big deal. So that part of the radio show is, is easy for me. But I don't know anything about other cultures and other people. And I've kind of been a sheltered American sitting here in, in this, the little homes I grew up in, the states I've lived. But we've talked with people all over the world and been exposed to different things that we never would. So I, I think that's such a powerful lesson, again, that you're saying here that maybe isn't obvious to the, the person. It's dig deeper, right? Find more where, than what's really there on the surface. Absolutely. Early on in my career, I found success because I was a sponge of information, a sponge of others, asked lots of questions. And I feel like my career has turned a bit of a corner. And now I'm I'm still a sponge, but I'm a generous sponge. Hmm. So I'm trying to figure out, okay, how do I share everything that I've learned with all the other younger sponges around me that are looking to learn and be and do great things? I like the generous sponge, right? Because if a sponge gets full of water and you squeeze it, all the water comes out. So everything you've absorbed, you can share with others. Oh, yeah. I think it's your duty to share those things because there's people coming out the ranks that don't know what you know, that can learn from your stories and your mistakes. And that's a really cool thing. So how are you intentional with sharing, right? Are you, is it become just part of who you are or do you have to still work at sharing with that with others? How did, what's that work for you? It's a bit of both. It's really a practice. Um, I do a little bit every day. I do a lot of writing. So I wrote a blog article on um, what are the things I wish I knew 20 years ago in my career. So just sharing stories of lessons that I've learned, mistakes that I've made, knowledge I've learned from reading. I read a lot of books and those feed me in different ways and, and have throughout my career. So I share like my favorite books. Like, for example, um, there's a book called The Coaching Habit. That's amazing, 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 amazing. Uh, I forget the whole title. It's something like Ask Great Questions and Change the Way You Lead Forever or something along those lines. And short book, I think I read it in like a day or two. And it gives you a really good starting point for the questions to ask. Um, so I found that if you can't learn and you, you will learn from the folks around you, hopefully, um, but books and podcasts and articles and things like that have fed me. And that's why I do things like this. I share my knowledge and try to do it pretty consistently. So you've, you've had a journey, right? We talked about this as a journey. W what wisdom, right? Do you think you going back to sharing, right? So share some wisdom with listeners, maybe junior people, right? Who are at the beginning of their journey, 
you didn't picture yourself where you are today. I certainly didn't picture myself where I am today. But how do we, what message would you share, right? What's the wisdom that you can share with people about that, that journey and being comfortable with just following it to see where you end up? For me, it's realizing that my career isn't going to take the path and hasn't taken the path that I planned and that's okay. Your project never takes the path that you plan and that's great and that's okay. It's, it's really more about being open, being open to that journey, um, seeing an opportunity in front of you and, and jumping in with both feet, uh, learning about something that makes you uncomfortable, but will build your, your skills and just having a curious mind, um, not being so worried about, am I saying something interesting, but am I interested? Am I interested in the things around me? If you remain interested, that's going to serve you really, really well. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. I like that. Remaining interested and not being interesting. I love that. All right. Beyond 20, give um, some insight to this as well. So, company. And, and the reason I'm asking this is I put a LinkedIn post out last night about just what does success look to me now, maybe compared to what I thought it looked like uh, earlier in my career, what, what I thought I'd be, what success would be. So I'm assuming you feel you're successful right now. You've got your company, you're an entrepreneur and you're doing well, but is beyond 20 what you use to measure your success? Or is there other things that you as a leader say, no, you know, I, I reflect on my career and I think now I'm, yeah, I'm, think I'm successful now. What's, what is that like for you? I don't know that I would say that to myself because like, yes, we've had success, but we're still on that path. Like it's like saying I, I've gotten to the top of the mountain. I'm still on that climb up the mountain. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, I find joy by doing meaningful work, helping customers be better tomorrow than they were yesterday. Um, learning. I'm constantly learning new things. I'm constantly trying new things I've never tried before, which is really, uh, it can be scary, but it's really, really cool. And for me, just learning lights me up. I think that's really fun. But yeah, I don't know that, that I will ever say, yes, we, we have success. We are successful because then that's when you get complacent and you think, oh, I've achieved it all. I've done it all. Uh, in fact, the folks that, that don't like working at Beyond 20 are the ones that think that they've learned it all and they're going to you know, tell all the rest of us how to do it. Yeah. What, what our company is full of uh, are of people that are like, I don't know it all and that's okay, but I'm going to try it. I'm going to fail. I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to learn from the wisdom around me uh, and I'm going to be part of this team and we're going to do really cool things and we're going to do new things tomorrow that we've never tried today. In fact, when I look back, even just in the last year, we're still doing projects we've never done before. And to me, that is so cool. Like we're doing a lot of um, data science work, data governance that is just bananas cool. Um, <laughs> we're, uh, we're moving into, um, into new spaces like the federal government. Uh, and there's just always something new around the corner. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we have, so I mentioned earlier during the, the intro stuff that the PMO leader, and it's a global community that I've created for 
project management leaders and PMO people to come together and chat. And we, not to plug another podcast, but we released the first podcast on that platform of their own show today. And I'm, I don't host it. We have community members who host it. And we're thinking through ideas. Of, you know, what are we going to call it? What's the topic's going to be? How are we going to do this? And best practices had come up as potential, hey, let's do best practices. But Chris Kopp, uh, who's the host of the show, said, how do I know if it's best? Mm. If I haven't explored every practice that's out there, how do I know which one's the best practice, let alone a worst practice or a mediocre practice, Right. So what about if we call it great practices? And that way we can talk to other leaders and find out what they've done that's been great for them. We're not judging it to say it's the best. We just know it's had success. It's been a great thing for them. So today was our, our uh, inaugural show of great practices, a new podcast out on the PMO leader site. And they talked with a gentleman, Joe Sisto out of Atlanta uh, about dashboards and reports, right? So it's a great practice. So when they hear you, talk through that discussion about at beyond 20 about how you're willing to go beyond, right? You haven't settled on this is our best practice, right? You're willing to innovate and explore and take on new challenges. And, and that was learning that for me, I was, was shooting for best practice. Um, but I've ch- had a big mindset shift now and it's no longer going for best practice, right? It's innovation and great practice. I like that. Yeah. Great practices. And I like the word practice too, because it's like with any practice, yoga practice, you know, that's the first one that comes to my mind, but (laughs) (laughs) which I don't practice, (laughs) but, uh, but there's an element of being a student and, and practicing and never getting, never, um, being perfect at it, but seeking that perfection, I think is a really noble cause, but you don't, you don't instantly become good by, by doing it one time. You have to keep at it. It has to become part of your daily practice or weekly practice or something like that. And that's our thing I, I dislike about our profession, right, is, uh, and I'm a baseball fan. I played baseball growing up. And as kids, we practice, right? And then if we think about major league baseball players, they still practice. Right? They take batting practice. They take bullpen sessions. They warm up. They practice. As adults, we're now in our job and we think we never have to practice. Because now you're supposed to know how to do your job. Well, a major league baseball player knows how to do their job better than any other baseball players in the world, but they still practice. So that, that, that's I'm trying to find a way within our organization to allow people to practice while they're still executing so that they can get better and improve upon that. It's the whole play as adults uh, compared to what we did at children. Part of that for me are these coaching sessions, right? It's, it's talking to these leaders from around the world. And unfortunately, right, we're up on an hour. Again, this time goes by so fast when we're chatting with folks. And it goes by faster when someone's in person and they're sitting across from you and you can see their eyes light up when they're telling a story or a smile comes on their face. So it's been great, Erica, to have you as our, our first guest back in studio. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, this has been so much fun. And uh, before we we let you go, anything to share with the audience, anything coming up uh, that would be of interest to them? How can they get in touch with you after the show if they want to connect? Absolutely. Yeah, you can just go to our website. It's beyond20.com. So it's the word beyond and then the number 20.com. We have webinars um, every couple of weeks or so. uh, So you can find those on LinkedIn, social media. Um, We really... 
as a company, really like to share our knowledge. Um, they're all free. They're all on a variety of different topics. Um, everything from, gosh, ITIL and IT service management. So how to better serve your customers if you're in a technology organization to um, really technical things like site reliability engineering to uh, agile project management to DevOps. I mean, you name it. And we've got a ton of resources on our YouTube channel as well. I think we've got over a thousand videos on our YouTube channel, wow. just like knowledge sharing, how to do things. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of become part of the culture of our organization is just knowledge sharing. Knowledge sharing, and then uh, we have a book, a second book actually that's coming out on September first. It's a pocket guide for. Um, I mentioned ITIL. It's called ITIL for Leader, and it's all around digital and IT strategy. Um, so myself and then nine other authors around the world contributed to this uh, great practice yeah. uh, book. And so the first book came out almost a year ago. It's a larger book. You can buy it on Amazon. Uh, and then what's coming out on September 1st is a, like a pocket study guide because there's a whole certification exam that you can take around digital and IT strategy. So it's meant to fit in your pocket and take with you where you go. So we're pretty excited about that. Uh, I served as lead editor and one of the authors on that. And that was just a cool learning experience, writing a book of that size because it's this international standard. Um, so yeah, really unique kind of project. So microbiologist, project manager, improv comedy, entrepreneurship, and author and editor. Yes. Add them to the mix as well, right? Yes. Nice. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Erica, for joining us. Uh, it's great to, to be back with a person in the studio. This is great. Um, and again, thank you for sharing your journey with us and, and everything about your career. Um, obviously, go out and visit beyond20.com to learn more about the company and uh, to connect with what they're doing. Uh, and certainly thanks again to all of our listeners, right? If we don't get people listening, then we stop doing the show because there'll be no interest. Um, so be sure to go out and visit projectmanagementofficehours.com to check out all of our prior shows and all of our upcoming guests. Uh, we've got an amazing lineup. Um, our next show will be in August with Karsten Lay, who'll be joining us from Vietnam. Uh, then we have Americo Pinto from Brazil, Tim Creasy uh, from ProSci will be joining us. Uh, Portugal will bring us Marissa Silva and Ricardo Vargas. And then we've got a bunch more in the last quarter of the year as well. So reminder, uh, although these shows are live, uh, we do also record them and release them as a podcast. So please subscribe to Project Management Office Hours on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, whatever your podcast platform of choice is. And finally, thank you to our sponsors, the PMO Squad and the PMO Leader. Please take a moment to go out and visit their websites to learn more about what they have to offer. That's it for now. Office hours are closed. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours. Thanks for listening to another episode of Project Management Office Hours with PMO Joe. You're not alone in your project management journey. We're here to help you achieve your goals. Subscribe to Project Management Office Hours on your favorite podcast platform to catch all of our episodes and hear industry leaders share their story and secrets to success.